Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. I remember an old song by Michael McLean that said, Will He Really Answer Me? It was a very meaningful song to me 25, 30 years ago and had a lot of influence on me. I think sometimes we wonder if the Lord will hear us. Will he really answer me? With all of my sins, all of my weaknesses, all of my faults and failings, will he really answer me? And the insight that I gain today is sometimes hearing about how the Savior has spoken to others can affirm our faith and give us the courage and the will to ask for ourselves. Let me begin with this first story. And I love this story because it's a little unexpected. The individual we're talking about, you would never guess. I won't tell you his name. But the year was 1829, and the place was Manchester, New York. The prophet Joseph Smith, 23 years old, had received the plates of the Book of Mormon and was now intent on translating those plates. The translation complete, but he had no money to pay for the printing. Well, his family knew that, and mother and father Smith went over to visit that night, one night, with some friends that lived on a neighboring farm. Well, as they did so, Mother and Father Smith visited with the mother and father of the neighboring farm, and the young boy, about 9, 10, 11 years old, was listening. And as he heard the story related by Mother and Father Smith, he knew that the Book of Mormon was true, and he wanted to do everything he could to help. So the following day, with his heart full of faith, he went out into the woods and he started gathering berries. He took the berries and went back to town and sold them for a few pennies, which pennies he gave to the prophet Joseph Smith. Then when the berries ran out, money was still needed, he began to gather up sticks and sell the sticks for firewood. Again, donating his pennies to the printing of the Book of Mormon. That went on. That lad, who knew the Book of Mormon was true from the earliest age, even before it was printed, was Orrin Porter Rockwell. Not a story you often hear about Porter. He would beg his parents to be able to stay up at night and listen to the discussions between his parents and mother and father Smith. He knew the work was true. And in April of 1830, when the church was organized, Porter and his mother were there. They were among some of the first to be baptized. Porter Rockwell was a devoted friend of the prophet Joseph Smith and stayed with him right up to the time that the prophet was martyred. It was Porter who rode back into Nauvoo with the news that Joseph and Hiram had been killed. Quoting, 
Port was true to the end of his days. Just before he died, in June of 1878, Porter would say, I am the most senior, the oldest member of the church still alive. The epitaph of Oren Porter Rockwell reads thus, He was brave and loyal to his faith, true to the prophet Joseph Smith. Joseph F. Smith would say of him, there was never a more devoted disciple than Porter Rockwell. My friends, the Lord answered Porter's prayers. He gave him a revelation, and Porter was true to that revelation for the rest of his days. When President Nelson promises us we can receive revelation, it is true. We can Revelation sometimes comes in the most unexpected situations. This story is brand new for me. It was donated by one of my friends here on Facebook. She shared it with me, and I'm going to share it with you. The story begins in the spring of 1841. Solomon Hancock moved to Lima, Illinois, where he served on the High Council. He was then appointed as president of the Yelrome branch. Now, the Yelrome branch, Yelrome is Morley for Isaac Morley, spelled backwards. It was a branch of the church in Illinois, about 20-some miles south of Nauvoo. And Solomon Hancock was called as the branch president. In the fall of 1845, now this is after the prophet Joseph has been martyred. And the citizens of Hancock County were determined, beginning in late 1845, that the Latter-day Saints were not going to stay in the county. They wanted them out. And it resorted to violence at Yelrome. Houses were burned. Barns were burned. One night, the mob came over and set fire to Edmund Durfee's haystack. Well, yeah, he went out to put out the fire, and the mobbers shot Edmund Durfee. Now listen to this account. The mobs came and were persecuting the people and driving them away from their homes. The mob came to Solomon's house. His wife was sick and his baby, Elijah, just 10 days old. The mob got up on Solomon's house and began tearing the chimney down and throwing down the mud that the chimney was built from. Solomon got his family out of the house. As he did, he picked up his Kentucky rifle and got his wife to safety out under a large elm tree. As he did so, he looked back at his house, and he saw the men standing on his house, tearing it down and preparing to set it on fire. Solomon Hancock raised his gun and prepared to shoot in defense of his home. But as he did so, there came a voice that said, Don't shoot, Solomon. You know your gun goes easy. The meaning of that last phrase is his gun had a hair trigger. Don't shoot, Solomon. Ease off. So he put the gun down, walked over to where his wife was, and he looked back and he saw the men 
tearing down his house and preparing to burn it, and it was just too much for him to bear. So the second time, he raised that rifle and prepared to shoot one of the mobbers. And as he did so, the voice came again the second time, saying, Don't shed blood. You know your gun goes easy. Spare their lives. The promise is made that your children and your children's children will never, ever be in bondage. End of quote. Solomon Hancock laid down his gun and watched his house burn while he wept. Solomon Hancock would be among the saints driven out of Nauvoo in 1846. He died at Mount Pisgah. He never saw the Rocky Mountains. I take from that story, brothers and sisters, that when we're doing the best we can, even in those moments when, when it would seem so unlikely that the Lord would be there and could talk to us, he still can, he still does, and he will. This next story, when you write a book about someone, there's the tendency to fall in love with the character. When you do a documentary on someone, there's a tendency to fall in love with the character. And this next woman is someone so endearing to Dennis and myself that we did a documentary on her. Her name is Mary Fielding Smith. If ever there was a woman that had incredible courage and undaunted faith, it's Mary Fielding Smith. Now, she's the widow of Hiram Smith. I think everyone's heard the story about blessing the oxen on the trail, but I'm not sure everyone has heard this story. Mary had like seven or eight children when she left Nauvoo and came to winter quarters. Not only that, she had a large household of men and women who worked for her. So she had quite a large company to provide for, and she wanted to come west with the saints. Well, she knew, 1846-47, that she didn't have enough supplies to make that trip. So she took her wagon, and she went south down to St. Joe, Missouri, to load up on supplies. They were making their way back. Now, they're coming north, up the Missouri River, from St. Joe, Missouri, on the south, back up to Winter Quarters, or Florence, on the Missouri River to the north. One night, they made camp. And as they did so, the next morning, they got up, and the oxen, to pull the wagon, were gone. Now, you have to understand the situation. The oxen are their only means of survival, of moving that wagon heavy laden with supplies. Their security, their salvation temporally was depending upon those oxen. No oxen, no wagon, no supplies. They're stuck. They're stranded. Well, Joseph F. Smith, who at that time, her son, is nine years old, and her brother, Mary Fielding's brother, Joseph Fielding, tramped all through the countryside looking for those oxen. Right up until almost noon, they walked, they looked, they searched. And finally, Joseph Fielding walked into camp and said, well, that's it, Mary. The oxen are gone. They're nowhere to be found. And 
Joseph F., young Joseph F., nine years old, walked in at the same time, and his mother said rather cheerfully, you just stay here, and I will go and search for the oxen. Now, there's an interesting part of that story. It was Joseph F. who walked into camp first, and as he did so, as he drew near to the camp, he saw Mary down on her knees and praying. Joseph F. says, I halted for a moment and then drew gently enough near to hear her pleading with the Lord not to suffer us to be left in this helpless condition, but to lead us to recover our lost oxen, that we might continue our travels in safety. Joseph heard what she said, and then he continues. He said, when she arose from her knees, I was standing nearby. The first expression I caught on her precious face was a lovely smile, which, discouraged as I was, gave me renewed hope and an assurance I had not felt before. He saw his mother on her knees. Then Joseph Fielding walks into camp, says the oxen are gone. Mary says, never mind, your breakfast has been waiting for hours, and now while you and Joseph are eating, I will just take a walk and see if I can find the cattle. Joseph Fielding kind of like, did you not hear what I just said? The cattle are gone. We can't find them. Both Joseph Fielding and Joseph F. watched Mary. She walked out of the camp and started beelining right down towards the river. Now, nearby was a large herd of cattle with some drovers. One of the drovers came over and headed Mary off and said, Madam, if you're looking for your oxen, I saw them in the other direction. Mary didn't even bat an eye. She just kept walking. She walked down towards the river, and right near the river, there was a deep ravine that drained into the river. She went over to the ravine, dropped down in, and there found her oxen tied up in the willows. Clearly and obviously, the drovers had intended to steal her oxen. Before Mary could even get her oxen up out of the ravine, the drovers had set the whips to their cattle and were moving straight away. Joseph F. would record this. We were soon on our way rejoicing. He would remember with reverence and respect that experience for the rest of his life as will your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren, when they see you praying and when they hear you pray with real intent. The Savior is with us. This story sort of seems to sum it up for me. Samuel Taylor Orton. The year was, I think it was 1857. Samuel Taylor Orton was a handcart pioneer. He had come out with all the rest and had pulled a handcart all the way across the plains. And then, when he was about two or three hundred miles out of Salt Lake City, which would put him probably somewhere over near the Wyoming-Nebraska border, maybe a little bit inside of Wyoming, he had walked 
pulled a handcart, and finally he was utterly exhausted. He would record in his journal, we got along very well, but then our provisions began to get very low, down to about a quarter pound of flour per day. Can you imagine living on a quarter pound of flour per day and pulling a handcart and burning upwards of 4,000 calories a day? It doesn't add up. Well, Samuel Taylor Orton, 24 years of age, on that diet and that exertion began to become very, very weak, very sick. So sick, in fact, that he said, I had to leave my handcart and walk as best I could behind the company. I was so sick, he said, I thought I should die. And I asked the Lord if I could die. And then all at once, Samuel said that he heard a voice, as plain as he ever heard a voice any time in his life, a voice from the beyond said, Sam, are you here? Sam said he turned around and looked. There was no one there. So he said, yes. And it startled him so much that he got up and kept walking. <laughs> he caught up with the handcart company. His strength was renewed. He said, my sickness left me, and this got me to thinking. Why am I here? Why am I doing all of this? What's the point? Why am I out here on the plains pulling a handcart headed for a destination I've never seen? Why am I doing all this? And finally, in his mental cogitations and ruminations, it finally struck Samuel. And he said, quote, I made up my mind. If the father and son really did appear to the prophet Joseph Smith and reveal the gospel to him, and if Brigham Young was Joseph Smith, I'm quoting, was his lawful successor, then he said, I wanted to see a halo of light around Brigham's head like there was around the head of the Savior in on nearly all of the pictures we see. You realize what he's saying? Lord, if Joseph Smith really did see the Father and the Son, and Lord, if Brigham Young is really Joseph Smith's lawful successor, then when I get to Salt Lake, I want to see a halo around Brother Brigham's head. I'm not sure you should ask for things like that. But he did. And then he just went on. Evidently, his health was fine from that point on. He reached Salt Lake City on the 5th of October. The next morning, on the 6th of October, Samuel Taylor Orton went to church, to the Old Bowery. And he said, quote, I took my seat about the middle of the building. The people were coming in pretty lively. Latter-day Saints are the same then as they are now. No reverence. He said, I was watching to see if there was anyone I knew, but I saw no one. I'm quoting now. He looked back towards the stand and he said, I saw President Young with rays of light around his head as I had asked for on the plains. And the same voice 
spoke to me on the plains, said, Now, Sam, if you ever apostatize, here is your condemnation. Sam says, I looked around to see if anybody heard that voice, but he said they didn't. This is a church of revelation. Answers will come to all who seek. Under the most unusual of circumstances, the Lord is still speaking. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.